0: the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Our sermon text for this evening will come from the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 1, and then 9 through 17. I encourage you to open your Bibles to that place and follow along, not only for the reading of the Scriptures, but also as we walk through this story and listen to this portion of the sermon that the Lamb of God is preaching from the scroll which he took from the hand of the Lord God Almighty. Tonight we're going to look at the wrath of the Lamb of God. And before we get to the picture of the wrath of the Lamb of God, I want you to enter into this story with me and remember where we were last week. Last week we saw that the Lamb of God went up to the Lord God Almighty and took a scroll from His hand, and He alone was worthy to do that. He alone was worthy to take this scroll and... He's going to preach from this scroll the word of God and reveal to us the contents of this scroll. So over the next several weeks we will see the unfolding and the unveiling of this scroll which is written with God's word on front and on back. Eugene Peterson says that this is what amounts to a seven-point sermon as he cracks the seven seals of this scroll and begins to lay out for us the contents of this scroll. But before we look at those contents, I want you to hear the Word of God, and if you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. Verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Again, the Lamb has taken the scroll from the hand of the Lord God Almighty. And he begins to crack the seals on the scroll one at a time. What we are going to see over the next few chapters is the Lamb's seven-point sermon. He comes full of grace and truth to reveal the will of His Father. We're not going to dwell on these seven seals, but I do want to give you an overview of what has come before this fifth seal. And the first four seals reveal what many call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There is a white horse which is a picture of a conqueror conquering. The mystery rider will be revealed later on in Revelation 19 and so we will look at him there. There is a red horse, which is a picture of war and violence and bloodshed. There is a black horse, which is a picture of economic collapse and decay. There is a pale horse, which is a picture of disease and death. And we learn in the unveiling of this scroll that these were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And then when we get to the fifth seal, we meet these souls under the altar who, like their shepherd, are lambs who were slaughtered for the word of God and for the witness their witness, their testimony of the Lamb. And the question is, who slaughtered them? How did they die? How did they end up in this place? Well, the souls under the altar were slaughtered by the red horse and by the black horse and the pale horse. One of the questions that is frequently asked throughout the scriptures is asked even here by those who are under the altar. The question is, how long? How long? This is the question of the living dead martyrs who are under the altar in the vision of the Lamb's sermon. How long, O Lord? This hard question is posed by God's people, not only here under the altar, but throughout the Old Testament. The story of God's people is a story that goes between, why, O Lord, and how long, O Lord? Well, here the question is, how long? And it's an echo of this question that we've heard from the psalmist and from the prophets. The psalmist asked God, "How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever?" How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The prophets, like the psalmists, also asked God, how long? How long shall I preach, O Lord? How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these 70 years? And finally, we come to this scene in the book of Revelation, a scene which is revealed to us of what is happening in the universe next door under the altar, Near the throne of God, the martyrs are crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These souls under the altar are all of God's people throughout history who have already died. Like their Savior and Lord Jesus, these souls under the altar laid down their lives for the Word of God. And by that I mean they laid down their lives for Jesus and for the gospel. And like the Lamb, they look as though they have been slain. They were dead, but now they are alive. Why are they crying out? They're crying out because they want to know that their sacrifice and their service means something. That it was not a mistake or all in vain. To be clear here, the Greek word for cry out does not mean that they're crying tears. They're not weeping. This is the same word that was used in John's gospel to describe Jesus when he was crying out and preaching like a prophet. The martyrs are not weeping. They are worshiping together. They are not pouting because of their sufferings. They are praying with one voice. In fact, in Greek it says, with one mega voice. They cry out because they want the Lord God Almighty to do something, to take action, to avenge their blood to exact punishment on those who have slaughtered them. They want to make it loud and clear that they expect the Lord God Almighty to do the right thing, to make things right, to execute judgment on their enemies, to prove that the judge of all the earth will do what is right and good for his people. In Revelation 5, we saw a scene of incense rising up to the Lord, and that incense was called the prayers of the saints. Well, here, like the incense, which releases its sweet and savory scent when burned by fire, so the prayers of these martyrs is rising up in the Spirit through the Lamb to the Lord God Almighty. And I want you to know that the same holds true for your prayers and mine. The worship we offer, the service we render, the, the life we live before the face of God, all of this rises up to the Lord God Almighty in the power of the Holy Spirit. But to put a finer point on it, I want to reference something that I heard a man say just a few days ago. I was at a retreat With the Hispanic Leadership Initiative and one of the pastors who spoke to us, these words of encouragement to urge us to continue in our ministries and to not give up and to not surrender, said this, All our prayers, all our works, our ministries, all our suffering and tears pass through the wounds of Jesus the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. The Lord God Almighty hears your cries. He is aware of your sufferings. He knows where you are, what you need. He sees your good works. He pays attention to you. He sees you and what you're doing. He's watching us. Even now, He's receiving our worship. Not on the merits of our worship not on the merits of our deeds not on how good we are but on the basis of who Jesus Christ is all of this is rising up through the wounds of the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world isn't that a beautiful thought this is what makes your worship and your service your ministry, your life so worth it and better yet so worthy of the Lord Jesus. When the cry rises up to God and God hears their groans rising up from under the altar, God remembers His covenant. God sees the people under the altar and God knows what must be done. And there is this beautiful response coming from the Lord God Almighty from His throne. He answers their prayers. He assures them that He sees their condition. He hears the cry of their hearts. And so how does He respond? He responds by giving each of them a white robe. This is not to pacify them. This is not to make them be quiet, to console them enough to go away. No, this is to praise them for enduring the trials and tribulations of cross-bearing. And if I could just connect a couple of dots for you here. This is not some random gift given by God to his people. This white robe that each of them are given is like the white robe that Jesus was wearing in the very first vision we saw in chapter 1. What does it mean? It means that just as these saints and martyrs once identified with Jesus in His death, so now they will always identify with Jesus in His life. They wear white robes because He wears a white robe and they are identified with Him. They are the people of the Lamb of God who were purchased with His blood. They're also told to rest a little longer, to rest a little longer, This gives us a unique perspective on life and death, doesn't it? In Christ, death is not a lifeless, null and void, final state of emptiness and nothingness. Rather, death is a temporal means of rest on the way to an eternal end of rest and rewards. So those who die in the Lord enjoy a restful experience from all of their labors, all of their struggles. And they enjoy this rest in the presence of the Lord. Here they are told to wait a little while longer before God avenges their blood. He has heard their cry. He is responding to them. And in due time, He will avenge them. They will be vindicated but for now they need to wait a little while longer the question is how long? the answer is a little longer to which we might say how long is a little longer? and the answer is given although, although I don't think you will like it how long is a little longer? it is until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete that is All who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. Let that soak in for a moment. How long, O Sovereign Lord, until you avenge our blood? A little while longer. What does that mean? It means that precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the full number of those who are going to give their lives and shed their blood for the word of God and the witness they have about Jesus is not yet complete. As we will see in just a moment, other servants and other brothers are dying every day and have been dying every day since this seal was cracked open. The souls under the altar are still waiting a little while longer. And that raises some big, hairy theological questions for us, doesn't it? In his book, God in the Dark, Oz Guinness says, the question, how long, O Lord, often turns into doubt. It turns into the doubt. Who does God think he is to keep us waiting? And this doubt comes when a particular vision of God has given us, that God has given us, seems utterly impossible or hopelessly delayed. The hardest thing to do is to wait and to work. Waiting does something to us, and it tells us something about our relationship to God. I don't know about you, but I'm an awful lot like Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. I hate waiting. (laughs) And these people are told to wait and to rest. The Lord God Almighty is sovereign over all things. And that rolls off of my lips so easily until I start to fill in what all things means. The Lord God Almighty is sovereign over all things, including space-time history. Well, that's still vague. Let's narrow it down. He's sovereign over all things, including the horses of war and famine and disease and death. And he's sovereign over all things, including the violence and the bloodshed experienced by those souls under the altar, the famine that drove them to death, the disease and the pestilence that took their life. He is sovereign over all of these things. And as we reflect on this, we ask, why does God allow this to happen? Why doesn't he act to stop the insanity? Our world is a dirty and messy place. There is violence and bloodshed, poverty, disease, injustice. These things abound. But what in the world is God doing? Where is God when it hurts? Why doesn't God answer us? Why doesn't he fix this broken mess? How long must we cry out to him in prayer? How long must me must we and our brothers and sisters cry out to him in prayer? How long must the living and the dead cry out to him in prayer? When will he put things to right? How long is a question that needs to be answered, but it's a question that is often answered in surprising and unexpected and mysterious ways, as we see in this story. Until the number of God's people who were to be slaughtered like lambs, as the other martyrs had been, is completed. Now, This is a hard word to hear, not only for us, but especially for them, especially people who have experienced the kind of bloodshed and pain and suffering that many of our brothers and sisters throughout the history of the world and throughout the world are experiencing even now. According to reports by Open Doors USA, the Voice of the Martyrs, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. In 2015, it was estimated that each month of 2015, 332 Christians were killed for their faith. 214 Christian churches or properties were destroyed. 772 forms of violence were committed against Christians which included beatings, abductions, rapes, imprisonment, and forced marriages. Most of you still remember the images of the 21 men in orange jumpsuits who were kneeling on a beach in the Middle East. Their captors stood behind them dressed in black, and one by one each man was brutally slaughtered. And as this happened, many of them were praying with their final words, Lord Jesus Christ. This was on their lips with their last breath. Like many others who came before them, these men took their place under the altar, and to this day they are crying out, How long, O Lord? Earlier this year, 2017, Christianity Today reported that for the third year in a row, the modern persecution of Christians worldwide has hit another record high. Open Doors researchers say that in 25 years of chronicling and ranking the political and societal restrictions on religious freedom experienced by Christians worldwide, 2016 was the worst year yet. Their research shows that persecution rose globally again for the third year in a row indicating how volatile the situation has become and some of these expert researchers Predict that 2017 will, in fact, eclipse 2016 and 2015 as the worst year yet. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse worldwide for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Even as we worship... Here in the peace and security of this place, even as I'm preaching in a very comfortable setting, there are brothers and sisters throughout the world who are giving up their lives for the word of God and their testimony, their witness of Jesus Christ. Many of the refugees who are fleeing the Middle East or risking their lives to cross the Mediterranean Sea are professing Christians. Many immigrants who are coming to us from the south and entering into the great state of Texas and other places are risking life and limb to cross the border seeking a better way of life. Why? Many of them are driven from their homes by various forms of violence and persecution, violence and famine and pestilence. The horsemen of the apocalypse have broken out upon them. Many of them are professing Christians coming our way like those who came before them they are fleeing the red and the black and the pale horses they are fleeing the unholy trinity of violence and famine and death and so it seems that the more things change the more they remain the same if we have any hope of making sense of all of these things what are we to do how can we make sense of them We make sense of these things by centering our hearts and minds on the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world for the sins of the world. It is in the Lamb of God who is revealed to us in the book of Revelation that we see the truth and reality of what suffering is like and how God uses suffering and even death to overcome the world. In the Lamb, we see that God became flesh and entered into our story, including the parts of our story that involve suffering and evil. And He experiences with us the same struggles and the same weaknesses we do. He sympathizes with us in our weakness and brokenness. And moreover, we see Him solving the problem of evil and suffering. How? How? not by waxing philosophical about it, not by giving the most rationalistic explanations of it, but by existentially entering into it and experiencing and enduring all of it for our sake and then exposing it to public shame. He brings down the rulers and the kings of the world, showing them to be counterfeit powers and weak excuses for glory. He became sin that we might become righteous. He endured unjust suffering that we might enjoy untold pleasures. As we heard in the scripture reading before the sermon, as we tie this text back to the text of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. What do we learn about Jesus by listening to the law and the prophets and by listening to the Gospels? We learn about Jesus that Jesus is the true and better martyr. He is the ultimate witness who laid down his life for the word of God. He was dead by crucifixion, but he is now alive forever by resurrection. The souls under the altar have followed in the steps, walked in the steps of this witness, of this martyr all of those stats and stories of persecution that I mentioned earlier certainly stand in sharp contrast to our way of life here in the United States. For example, here in the belt buckle of the Bible belt most of our suffering and sorrows are self-inflicted. They are not caused by people outside of the Christian community but usually caused by other professing Christians inside the Christian community. Many professing Christians like to play hop, skip, and jump with Christ and the church over a range of silly things and petty matters. They're constantly moving from one place to another, not to escape heresy, not to escape danger or persecution, but often simply because they want to experience something new or maybe they just want to enhance their network. In the words of Flannery O'Connor, what people don't realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket, when of course it is the cross. and It is our lack of understanding Of our calling to follow the Lamb of God into the new creation, bearing our crosses every step of the way that brings injury and harm to the body of Christ. On March 24th, 1965, after the march from Selma to Montgomery, Martin Luther King Jr. said, How long? Not long because the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice and he was right he was right in this sense as the vision of the lamb sermon shows us justice is coming for the enemies of God's people justice is coming for the enemies of God's people They think they have long. They think they have infinite time. They think they will never be caught. But justice is coming for the enemies of God's people. I direct your attention to the end of our text today where we read that when justice comes, the enemies of God's people will feel as though all hell has broken loose against them. But it is not hell that is breaking loose against them. It is heaven. And to them it feels like hell. The world will be shaken. Things will change. People will be stricken by fear and terror. They will want to die. They will want to hide. They will want to escape. What do they want to escape? And the text tells us that they want the mountains to fall on them and the rocks to hide them. Why? Because the face of him who is seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb of God has broken out against them. In their refusal to kiss the Son, they have angered him. And this Lamb who has come, slain for the sins of the world, slain from the foundation of the world, the Lamb who has come to lay down his life for sinners who came full of grace and truth to reveal the glory of God will at some point in a little while turn and his wrath will break out against the enemies of God and his people. And his wrath will be such that the enemies of God will want to flee and they will find no escape. They will want to hide and there will be no place to run. They will long for death, but they will not get it. The world will fall apart and crumble around them, and the saints under the altar will be vindicated. God will be praised, he will be glorified, and the Lamb will act in justice, and what he does is right and good in the sight of God. And all of those who have opposed the Lamb of God will get what they have requested, what they desire, what they deserve. And in that day of the wrath of the Lamb of God, in that great day of their wrath, the question will be, who can stand? Not who can stand the wrath, but who can stand in His presence? Who can stand under the gaze of the Lord God Almighty as His face, His face turns against His enemies and a storm breaks loose? Who can stand in the presence of the Lamb of God who has been very slow to anger but when his anger comes it is fierce and ferocious. Who can stand? The vision tells us that a storm is coming and not everyone will survive the storm but only those who are in Christ only those who have turned from their sins and put their trust in Jesus. I urge you with all your heart, if you've not done so, turn away from your sins now. Turn towards Jesus and put your trust in Him now. And you will be saved, for He is the Savior of the world. Let us pray together. O Almighty God, by whose grace and power your holy martyrs triumphed over suffering and were faithful even unto death, grant us, who now remember them with gratitude, to be so faithful in our witness to you in this world, that we may receive the crown of life with them, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.